Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series of messages is based on an intriguing teaching from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. For more details, be sure to get a copy of Kevin's recently released commentary on the book of Ezekiel from Amazon in your region or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. So uh, we want to pick up where we uh, finished last uh, Sunday concerning Daniel. And so, uh, as most of you have been here, we're just going to read uh, the two verses from Ezekiel 14 and verse 14 and then verse 20. If you have not been here, we'd like to encourage you to pick up the tapes on the series that we've been doing together on these three men. All right, Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14 says, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Then again in verse uh, 20, it repeats the same uh, words, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Now in the series we've been doing together on these three men, we looked uh, first of all in our first part on the uh, God's foresaw judgments and the uh, God choosing out these three men. Then in our second session we went through uh, Noah who was a prophet and the last Sunday we've been looking at Daniel who, uh, Noah a preacher, pardon me, Noah the preacher and then uh, last Sunday Daniel the uh, prophet and then Job the patriarch which we'll pick up in a, a, uh, a subsequent Sunday. And uh, so I just want to take a very brief moment to review what we covered last week. In contrast to Noah who was about 480 years of age Uh, when the word of the Lord came to him about the flood and everything like that and building the ark. Here we have Daniel, a young man, about 17 to 21 years of age. And we had all our our young men and young people who are between that age, 17 to 21. Why don't you just stand one more time quickly this morning. All our 17 to 21 year olds, why don't you stand wherever you are in the auditorium. Uh, Mark standing, get down. I said the 17 to 21 is okay. <laughs> All right, let's give them a hand again and show our appreciation for them. You can be seated. So we're after everybody with the word, but uh, we're particularly looking at the age group here. So we saw that Daniel as a young man uh, was taken to, ba- uh, to Babylon and what a contrast it was for him after leaving Jerusalem and the city of God there and the temple of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the, the Levitical priesthood, the animal sacrifices, the worship after the tabernacle of David and uh, the worship of the one true God uh, and then suddenly land in the city of Babylon as a captive and see all the idols and the temple to Baal and we just went through a brief description of the great city of Babylon with its hanging gardens, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. Then we went to Daniel chapter 1 and particularly looked at some of the qualities of the young man. We saw he was a young man in whom there was no blemish. He was good looking. All those who stood said, Amen. Uh, And the women too. Gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. He had ability to serve in the king's palace. And as we see in Ezekiel, he was a righteous man. And the main thing that we uh, majored on was purpose of heart. And I'd like you to turn back to Daniel chapter 1 as we pick up uh, on this thought where we left off last Sunday. So Daniel chapter 1, and I want to pick up in verse 8. Daniel 
All right, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, we're told, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And uh, so the whole issue there is that Daniel purposed in his heart uh, not to be defiled with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. And as we saw last Sunday in our uh, final moments there, we saw there were two major reasons why uh, Daniel and his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, why they uh, would not touch the portion of the king's food or his wine, uh, is because, first of all, uh, in Babylon they ate certain unclean foods that were forbidden by the word of the law. And we saw that in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 12, that God listed out for the nation of Israel uh, clean foods and unclean foods, what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. You could call it legalism, call it what you like, but God said it. And when God says a thing's unclean, that settles it. Everybody said amen. We may not ask why, but it was ceremonially unclean before the Lord. And uh, as I said, Daniel and his companions, they could have rationalized and said, here we are down in Babylon, and when you're in Babylon or when you're in Rome, do what Rome does. When you're in Babylon, do what Babylon does. They could have got into wine sipping and social drinking or anything like that and say, well, this is the king's wine. We're in Babylon. We'll never get back to Jerusalem again. And there could have been a lot of rationalization as goes on today in our society. And so uh, they could have had any excuse, but the weight of the word of God proved it. And so the first thing is that these foods were unclean and forbidden by the Lord, and so Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with this uh, food. The second reason we picked up was that the food was offered to idols. And uh, we quoted Jeremiah chapter 50 where Babylon is a land of graven images and they are mad upon their idols. In Isaiah chapter 44 and chapter 47, just chapters, these whole chapters are given over to the stupidity of idolatry. And uh, Babylon was uh, saturated with sorcerers, enchantments, astrologers and stargazers and all forms of occultism, magicians and wise men and all forms of, of, of Satan worship. And that's the whole picture that we have there, uh, that uh, this was offered to idols. Now, some of the students, and I said last Sunday, it's all right for many of us as Australians, but I always feel for uh, the students, uh, Asian students, who have to go back to Malaysia. What do they do in situations when they uh, go back to uh, unsaved parents, and then sometimes the parents say, well, this food has been offered to idols, and you call yourself a Christian. Now, I just want to clarify because uh, several said, well, Kevin, we were just in a little bit of confusion after your message on this matter. I want you to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we want to be helpful here. And so uh, we're dealing with different cultures, but all of us are in the kingdom of God culture. Amen? And it's what the kingdom of God culture says, not what Australian or Western culture says, or Malaysian culture, or Indonesian culture, or European culture. What's the kingdom of God culture say? What does the Bible say? There are certain things in all cultures that are not sinful, but there are certain things in every culture that are sinful and are against the kingdom of God culture. And that's what we all have to learn to discern. Uh, learn to discern. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul deals with this uh, matter of meats being offered to idols. So I want to clarify that, particularly for the students who are going back to Malaysia this year. And we're going to miss them very much. First uh, Corinthians 10 and pick up verse 18, or verse, uh, no, verse 14 again. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. 
Now remember, Babylon was mad upon their idols, the city given over to idolatry. In contrast to the city of Jerusalem, the temple of God, Israel, uh, their religion was monotheistic, the worship of the one true God. In Babylon, they were given over to pantheism and polytheism. Everything was God and many gods. So in contrast to the one true God, many gods, uh, monotheism to pantheism. Now, in, uh, in, in uh, verse 14, Paul says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, writing to spiritual believers, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I'm about to say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So we've just been commemorating and celebrating the cup of blessing that we bless, not a pontifical blessing or priestcraft, but we bless the cup, uh, the communion of the blood of Christ, and the bread which we break, not an official priesthood, we are all believer priests this morning, but the bread which we break, the communion, the coin and ear, the sharing, the participation of the body of Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Then moving from the communion table where we have the, the, the food and the drink, the bread and the cup, the bread and the cup. Now remember, in the light of the context of, of Daniel's time, the food was offered to idols, the wine was poured out as a libation before the idols, so Daniel purposed in his heart, he would not defile himself with the portion that was of the king that had been offered to idols, the food and the drink. And so it's in the light of this that we're looking at, flee from idolatry, the spirit behind the idol. Now he goes on in verse uh, 18, after talking about the communion, he goes back to the Old Testament Israel in relation to the altar and sacrifices. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Now the law was in the Old Testament, whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. So when the offerings were offered on the altar and the priest partook of certain portions, they were holy portions because whatever touched the altar was holy, the altar of God. Now the, the converse is true. Whatever was altered on the offer, offered on the altars of Babylon to the gods, it became unholy. And so Daniel said, I'm not going to be defiled with that which has been offered to idols and the spirit behind the thing. All right, continuing on here, verse 19. What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered to idols is anything? All right, what am I saying? Now, the idols may be silver, gold, brass, stone, or whatever. Of course, in our Western world, we have more sophisticated, uh, sophisticated type of idolatry. It can be a car, it can be a wife, it can be a husband, it can be a children, it can be our job, it can be money. We can idolize a lot of other things. We have a more respectable, sophisticated form of idolatry in the Western world. And some God, sometimes God has to say, okay, the idols you've got to get rid of. It can be music, it can be a thousand and one things. All right, so verse 20. But I say, or this is what I'm saying, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. So the idol in itself is nothing, just material, whatever it may be, and the sacrifice is just a bit of animal meat and blood, whatever the case may be. But the issue is what's behind it. So he says in verse 20, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God, and I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Now how can you have fellowship with devils? The same way as in verse 16 and 17, we have fellowship in the Lord's table. 
How many had fellowship and communion as we partook together of the body and the blood of Christ this morning? Amen. Everybody say amen. So we fellowship together around the Lord's table. We are partakers of the one bread, the one cup. We're partaking of the spirit that's behind this table, the Holy Spirit, we believe. Now on the negative, the converse, it's true here. So fellowship with devils. Then in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. So you Corinthians, you cannot go to the temple. And when I was in Corinth a number of years ago, I went up to the hill there to Acre Corinth and around the ruins of the temple and all this sort of came a little bit more alive to me. So you can't go to the uh, temple of Corinth, which is an unholy temple, a temple of prostitutes, and drink the cup that's offered to the gods there and the prostitute gods and everything like that and then partake of the sacrifices, then come back to the church, the house of the Lord, the temple of God, which is a holy temple, which you are, and partake of the Lord's table. You can't have the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Continue. We cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the tables of devils. Why? Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Because God is a jealous God. He's jealous over us. He wants a holy people. Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Now, listen, uh, students who are going back. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, so down in the uh, Melbourne market, <laughs> or the Croydon market, okay, that eat, asking no questions for conscience' sake. Now, I ask questions not for my conscience' sake, but for my stomach's sake. And often I've had to bless it and call it fish when they tell me it's pork. And when they give me pork overseas, I have to eat it. I try and get out of it at home. And I say that prayer of the preacher, Lord, if you can bless under grace what you cursed under law, then bless this pig. <laughs> now I'm still alive and well, you know. I don't know what God does to it on the inside. Anyway, okay, for conscience sake, for your stomach's sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, the next part here, verse 27. If any of them that believe not bid you, go to a, bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, thinking, yeah, I might have an opportunity to witness this guy, get through to him about the Lord. Okay, whatsoever is set before you, okay, eat it. Ask no question for conscience sake. So eat whatever's set before you. Ask no question for conscience sake. But... Verse 28. But if any man say unto you, Oh, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake. Verse 29, pick up here. Conscience, I say, not your own, but the other. So you're free to eat these things. But if they say, This is offered to idols, then I would not eat and say, Okay, because of that, he showed it to you. But otherwise, you, why do we say grace? The very reason we say grace is that God will bless the food to our bodies, reverse the curse, and I often say this, Lord, bless the vitamins and curse the calories in Jesus' name. <laughs> and it's worked for me so far. See? That's why I can live off the fat of the land. The fat's here and the land's here. Right? So, uh, you know, that's the whole subject in itself. Uh, we did a paper on this, Kuhn and I, and I'd like to give it to all the... Uh, Malaysian students before you go back. But I hope that at least clears that. Now, listen to Amplified on that. 
Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 10, let me pick up oh, verse uh, 18 then. I'm reading from Amplified. Consider those physically people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners of the altar, united in their worship of the same God? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is intrinsically changed by the fact and amounts to anything or that an idol itself is a living thing? No. I am suggesting that what the pagans sacrifice, they offer in effect to demons, to evil spiritual powers and not to God at all. I do not want you to fellowship and be partners with diabolical spirits by eating at their feasts. You cannot drink the cup of the, the Lord's cup and the demon's cup. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the demon's table. And then he goes on. So I recommend that you read the thing uh, fully through in Amplifier, which really amplifies it very much. So uh, that's the issue, that the, the food was unclean and the law of the Lord said it. And number two, spirits were behind the idols. Uh, I want to read something from you. I'll tell you where it's from and I need to say this. This is from the Apocrypha and I in no way endorse the Apocrypha. Okay, it's uninspired, uh, it contradicts in areas the Bible, but some of it is just very interesting history. And uh, in this part it's picked up on the history of the destruction of Baal and the dragon and uh, traditionally it's supposed to be cut from the end of, of the book of Daniel. So I'd like you to read this story. I think you'd enjoy this part. And the gist of the story is this, that when they offered the meats to the idol, then uh, the idols apparently ate the meat. And Daniel, who was purpose in his heart not to defile himself with this whole Babylonian thing, he said to the king, these people, the astrologers and the priests, they're deceiving you. And uh, they said, no, we're not. So this is the story. And King, I can't even say his name, A-S-T-Y-A-G-E-S, everybody say that after me, Asyagus, was gathered to his fathers and Cyrus of Persia received his kingdom. And Daniel conversed with the king and was honoured above all his friends. Now the Babylonians had an idol called Baal. And there was spent upon him every day twelve great measures of fine flour and forty sheep and six vessels of wine. And the king worshipped and went daily to adore it. But Daniel worshipped his own God. Everybody said hallelujah. And the king said unto him, Now remember Daniel's coming to favour. Why do you not worship Baal? Who answered and said, Because I may not worship idols made with hands, but the living God who has created the heaven and the earth and has sovereignty over all flesh. Then said the king to Daniel, Thinkest thou not that Baal is a living God? Seest thou how much he eats and drinks every day? Then Daniel smiled, everybody smile, <laughs> and said, O king, be not deceived, for this is but clay within and brass without, and they never did eat or drink anything. So the king was wroth, and he called for his priests and said unto them, If you tell me not who is this that devoureth these expenses, you'll die. But, I mean, you know, that's a lot of tucker, isn't it, for an idol to eat. Twelve measures of flour, forty sheep, and six vessels of wine. That's a lot of tucker for a god to eat, isn't it? But if you can certify me that Baal devoureth them, then Daniel shall die, for he hath spoken blasphemy against Baal. And Daniel said unto the king, Let it be according to thy word. How many are ready to stake your life on this? I am. Well, that's all three of us here. <laughs> You're scared, aren't you? 
Now the priests of Baal were threescore and ten, seventy priests besides their wives and children. And the king went with Daniel into the temple of Baal. So Baal's priests said, Lo, we go out, but thou, O king, set on the meat, and make ready the wine, and shut the door fast, and seal it with thine own signet. And tomorrow when you come in, if you find not that Baal hath eaten up all, we will suffer death, death, uh, suffer death, or else Daniel that speaketh falsely against us. And they little regarded it, for under the table they had made a private entrance, whereby they entered in continually and consumed those things. <laughs> Pretty shrewd, isn't it? So when they were gone forth, the king set meats before Baal. Now Daniel had commanded his servants to bring ashes and those that strewed throughout all the temple in the presence of the king alone. Then went they out and shut the door and sealed it with the king's signet and so departed. Now in the night, are you enjoying this story? <laughs> now remember it's not inspired, okay? It's apocryphal. I want you to like that piercing the darkness. Some of you thought that was the Bible. Now in the night came the priests with their wives and children as they were wont to do and did eat and drink up all. In the morning be time the king arose and Daniel with him. And the king said, to, uh, said, Daniel, are the seals whole? And he said, Yea, O king, they be whole. And as soon as he had opened the door, the king looked upon the table and cried with a loud voice, Great art thou, O Baal, and with thee is no deceit at all. Then laughed Daniel. Ha, 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 Well, something like that, with a Hebrew accent. <laughs> then laughed Daniel and held the king that he should not go in. Just hold it. And said, Behold now the pavement, and mark well whose footsteps are these. And the king said, I see the footsteps of men and women and children. And then the king was angry and took the priests with their wives and children who showed him the privy doors where they came in and consumed such things as were upon the table. Therefore the king slew them and delivered Baal into Daniel's power who destroyed him and his temple. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? I thought you'd enjoy that Sunday school story. <laughs> such were the corruptions that went on. Now, I'll go back to Daniel chapter 1, and then I need to uh, pick up a couple of other things here. Now, as you glance over the rest of the chapter here, just a few thoughts, and then I need to pick up uh, other thoughts here. You'll find that uh, from verse 9 onwards, paraphrasing a little bit here, that uh, Daniel had come into favor with the prince of the eunuchs and he said, look, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days and let them give us pulse uh, to eat or vegetables and water to drink. And then after ten days' trial, look upon our countenance and see uh, how we look. And he said, look, he said, I'm really endangered of my head. If the king sees you and your companions like this, skinny and everything like that, then uh, my head will be off. Anyway, Daniel said, prove us ten days. And we're told there, at the end of the ten days, uh, the uh, countenance appeared, fair, uh, appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. And so he took away that portion. Now, why don't you put down these couple of scriptures because 
You know what God promised uh, Israel if they would follow his word? Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25. I'll only quote it here. Exodus 23 verse 25. God said that I will bless your bread and your water and take away sickness from you. Now that's a wonderful verse. Bless your bread and your water. Bread and water. Now in the Lord's table we have the bread and the wine, the bread and the cup. But bread and water, and God said, I'll I'll bless the bread and the water. And so ten days, and then Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs 4 verse 20 to 22 is a good verse. Proverbs 4 verse 20 to 22 is where it says, if we we, uh, believe in the word and trust and obey the word, the word will be health to all our flesh. The word will be health to our flesh. Uh, That's divine health, isn't it? So Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 22. And I believe the people of God who feed on the Word of God should be healthy people, don't you? All right, so at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, 10 days, in verse 17 of Daniel 1, we're told, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So there's the tremendous picture that we had. Now, I just want to remind us of our last thing that we finished on last Sunday. We said today that because of the occultic thing and the demons behind everything and spirit behind everything, we said, I believe there's a spirit behind the communion table. How many believe that? It's the Holy Spirit. I believe there's a spirit behind this book. How many believe what spirit it is? Holy Spirit. I believe there's a spirit behind our singing as we worship the Lord. What spirit is it? Holy Spirit. And so we're dealing, and there's that that fine line that we cross from the physical realm into the spiritual realm, and uh, uh, realizing what was going on in Babylon. I know I'm moving fast on this, but in Babylon, they had all forms of of, uh, uh, occultism, divination, I've got a list here, observers of times, passing children through the fire, offering their uh, children to Baal and to the Babylonian gods in sacrifice, enchanters, witches, charmers, uh, wizards, necromancers, astrologers, stargazers, soothsayers, sorcerers, and all sorts of, of, uh, of satanic occults there. I don't know how many saw the news Monday night. How many saw the Halavision Channel 10 Monday night? How many really felt what I felt over that? And see, this is right in so-called Christian Australia. Child sacrifice... And I don't know how this cursed Halloween ever got into the church where witches uh, have children so that they're born to be sacrificed to Satan and cannibalism. And when a nation gets to that, Ern Baxter said to me years ago, he said, Kevin, once a nation gets into uh, child abuse, uh, childbirths, sacrifices for Satanism and cannibalism, eating babies... uh, no nation can go lower. And that's exactly why God destroyed the Canaanites. And we have all the list of the terrible abominations that the Canaanites got into. And that spirit of Ham, that spirit of Canaan, has gotten into our Christian nations. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I think it's frightening to think that kids can't be trusted in, in primary or kindergarten and some of these things. I say, saints, we need to continually pray the hedge of God around our families in this house, amen, in the house of the Lord. And I've said it before, but we are at war. 
We are at spiritual warfare. It's lovely to sing about on with Christian soldiers here and we're off warfare, mighty God and soldiers of Christ. But the war is on. In the Dandenongs we have, and I, I think I'm safe to say this. Okay, I'll make it general. I've had to deal with people who offered babies to Satan in sacrifice up here in the Dandenongs. Had to deal with people uh, into Ouija boards and heavy metal music and satanic rock and all this stuff and they, they use all this to open the way to the spirits and they cross a line somewhere that I think, God, how can we help? And the, and, and the witches, cobans and feminists and powers that be in, in high places who are praying against Christian marriages, against the marriage institution. Husbands and wives, you need to be pray together. Pray together, stay together. Because there's a satanic attack. We are in a war, saints. Spiritual warfare, it's on. And I think uh, it, was a, it was a shock to me. I knew a certain number of things were going on in Australia, but I had no idea that all the cities where Satan worship and child sacrifice and abuse and cannibalism of babies and poor kids... I, I tolerate adults consenting. That's evil. But when little innocent children have to eat other little babies, that's as plain as it is, saints. That's right here in Australia. It's no use as being ostriches and burying our heads in the sand and say, she'll be right, mate, it'll blow over. It's not blowing over. Christianity is headed on to a confrontation with Satanism and false religions. The harlot church is in formation. The bride of Christ is in formation. But the satanic church is in formation too. And we are headed for a confrontation. We are in war, saints. And we can't be playing church, messing around, playing with sin. We just can't do it, saints. We're dealing with a spirit world. And that's the whole thing. And I said it last Sunday, but I appeal to you young people and older people, it doesn't matter what age group you are, if you're messing around with widgie boards or rock music, you have pictures. I gave you the scripture last Sunday in Numbers and the King James only puts it this way that when they went into the promised land they were to destroy the pictures, the engravings. And if you have pictures in your room and you have pornographic magazines and dirty literature that shouldn't be there, if you have certain records that shouldn't be there, there's a spirit behind these things. There's enough good records out and praise albums and Hosanna with some good music to worship the Lord. Amen. And young people, you are under attack. Do I say these things because I don't love you? It's because I do love you. I'm jealous for our young people in this church and the difficult teenagers and teenage years, all of us. But I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Everybody said amen. Amen. Hey. I want to just spend uh, just a very few moments on the last couple of thoughts here. We, we've been looking at the man. And then the second thing we were going to look at is the ministry. And then the final thing we want to look at is the message. So just let me spend a few moments on this. So in connection with Daniel, we looked at the man. Children in whom there's no blemish, well-favored, wise, knowledge, understanding, science, ability to stand in the king but had a purpose of heart not to be defiled. And I plead with you young people, I plead with the church, have purpose of heart. God, I'm not going to be defiled with this Babylonian system. 
and things that belong to Babylon. Everybody said amen this morning. So that's the man, a young man. And he lived through to about 94 years of age and saw the rise and fall of Babylon, yet kept himself pure, kept himself clean for all those years. All right, just briefly, the ministry. After these several years here, there were three years when they had to learn the, the Chaldean language. And you see, the whole subtlety, if you, you still got your Bible open to Daniel 1, the whole subtlety of changing their names was this. Verse, verse uh, 6 and 7, let me say this. Among these were of the children of Judah. They were the, from the tribe of praise. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the Babylonians changed their names. Why? Okay, unto the prince of the eunuchs gave names. Uh, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs, uh, eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel, which means God is my judge, the name of Belshazzar. That Baal was the true God. And to Hananiah, I forget the meaning of his name, to Shadrach and Mishael of Meshach and Azariah Benigo, all the names that they had, listen carefully, saints, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, you'll notice two of them end up with Daniel, E-L, Mishael, E-L, and Hananiah and Azariah. They were all partakers of the name of God. Because Al, in the beginning God, in the beginning Elohim. So Daniel, God is my judge, he was partake of the name of God. Han uh, Mishael, partake of the name of God. Hananiah and Ah come from Jehovah, Yah, extol him by his name, Jah. So these, as children of God, they were partakers of the name of God. And when we are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, we're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We become partakers of His name. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you call yourself a Christian, and I call myself a Christian, we cannot live a life of iniquity. You call yourself a Christian. How many know that the world has a higher standard for Christians than we do? I don't know. I would like to ask a sinner one day. I've never really done this. I would like to ask a sinner one day, what do you think a Christian is? Because they must have some concept in their mind of what the standard of a Christian because that's the first thing they throw up to you and say, oh, you're supposed to be a Christian. That's how Christians behave. What sort of a Christian are you? I would really like to know what their standard is and maybe their standard of a Christian is higher than our standard. So now in the change of names... They were going to become partakers in name of the gods of Babylon. Because Belshazzar was Baal, the great god Baal. And Shadrach was another god. And Meshach and Abednego, they were all gods. So in changing their names, they were trying to change the nature and character to come under Babylonian system. But how many know that you can change the label on the outside, you don't have to change on the inside? And so though Daniel had Babylonian names and his companions, yet he purposed in his heart. Now this young man, his ministry, he was called to be a prophet. And a special kind of a prophet. And as you study the Old Testament particularly, you find that there were different kinds, different types of prophets. There were prophets that we refer to as utterance prophets, 
Elijah and Elisha was what we refer to as an utterance prophet. Moved in the gifts of the Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and healings and miracles, and, but not writing of scriptures. Then we have what we refer to as the writing utterance prophets. And they're spoken of as the major and minor prophets who spoke and wrote the word of the Lord. And we think of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and some of those prophets inspired writings. But Daniel was a unique type of prophet. He was a visionary prophet. Ezekiel and Daniel particularly, given visions and dreams in writing. But he never uttered a prophecy for that matter. He was visionary and wrote his visions. And these are the gifts of the Spirit that Daniel were given. He was given visions, dreams, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, interpretation of visions and dreams, and interpretation of unknown tongues when the hand came out of the wall and the handwriting was on the wall and Daniel was called in to in, uh, with the gift of interpretation of unknown tongues when Babylon fell. And also Daniel was a preacher with a ministry of exhortation. So God blessed this young man, purpose in his heart, and what a tremendous ministry. As I said, Daniel is the Old Testament John, while John is the New Testament Daniel. Let me just finish on this. The message. So much in the book of Daniel, that let me just summarize my message here on his message. The whole message of Daniel is the kingdom message, the kingdom of God. And it sort of sets itself out into four particular thoughts. Number one, Daniel's message, the sovereignty of God over the nations of the earth. The sovereignty of God over the nations. Assyria may come, and fall. Babylon may come and rise and fall. Medo-Persia may rise and fall. And uh, Daniel saw the sovereignty of God over the nations. How many are glad for the sovereignty of God over nations today? He's over the nation of Australia. Whatever our prime minister, whatever the Fabianists and socialists and humanists may say, God is on his throne this morning. What an awesome God we have, saints. Number two, another part of Daniel's message is that God sets up one and he pulls down another and he gives the kingdom to whomsoever he will. Let me say it again. He sets up one and he pulls down another and he gives the kingdom to whomsoever he will. Belshazzar may be filled with pride and say, and Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar is not this the kingdom that I built? by my might and by my power, and just one little sneeze from God sent Nebuchadnezzar as a raving lunatic, an animal on all fours, long fingernails, long hair, quite a hippie beast he was, and just became a beast and acted as an animal for seven years. See, pride produces bestial insanity. And God says at the end, at the end his sanity came back and he gave a testimony. He said, God sets up and he pulls down and he gives the kingdom to whomsoever he will. I acknowledge the sovereignty of God. And Nebuchadnezzar, now a converted man, sent that letter out throughout the whole world of his kingdoms. Saints, God sets people up and he pulls them down. Number three, God reveals his secrets to his servants 
concerning the destiny of world kingdoms. Let me say it again. God reveals his secrets to his servants concerning the destiny of world kingdoms. God reveals his secrets to his servants and the destiny of world kingdoms. And the last part of Daniel's message is summarizing is that Christ will set up the kingdom of God in the earth at his second coming. Christ will set up the kingdom of God in the earth at his second coming. And throughout Daniel's book, it's seen as the stone kingdom that smashes the kingdoms of this world. It's seen as the son of man kingdom that destroys the beast kingdoms. It's seen as the Messiah of the 70-week prophecy when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.